I have some help up here this morning leading worship. Will you please make these guys welcome and make them feel like they're loved? And why don't you stand to your feet and let's all worship together this morning. We're so glad you're at Ashland. Thank you for being here. Two. Of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be saved. you've done for me who brings the chaos who brings the chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice Shine like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Yeah. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Sing it out. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who come. If he's worthy, sing it. Lift it up. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, yes. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. 
sing for all that you've done for me.
that's who you are, that's who you are, that's who you are, and I am loved by you, that's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am. Lord, we are eternally grateful that you are a good, good father, and we are loved by you. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, while you have a seat there, let me point you in a direction this morning in Matthew chapter 18. Let me read to you just two verses there before we begin. Let me, let me borrow that. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 5, Jesus says, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And I want you to think about this just for a moment as you saw these little guys up here on the platform leading us. Um, I want you to think that one of the comparisons that Jesus gave to us concerning our faith is a comparison to a little child, to, to one of these guys. The sincerity of it, the innocence, uh, the, the full-blown trust that they will put in a person. That's what God uses as a comparison to our faith. And so as you look at these, they're not just grade schoolers being willing to come up here and lead us in songs, but these are um, those that have a calling on their lives to make an impact for Christ in their schools. They are grade schoolers who need you in this church to come alongside of them, to encourage them, to um, speak into their life things that you have learned over the course of the years that God has entrusted to you. And so I'm, I'm thankful that they're up here. Listen, I, Robert mentioned this in Sunday school. These little guys right here also um, will have a lot to say about what happens to you as you get older. Um, and they will use that against you, if at all possible. They are, we're to the age right now where they are warning us that, hey, just remember someday when you're older, who's going to take care of you? They're, they're already holding that. They're pinning me against that. So I'm thankful for them to be here this morning. We do this um, basically quarterly when there's a fifth Sunday, and uh, we'll have them in service with us um, just to worship together as a family all together. And so I'm glad that they are here, and I hope that you are as well. I want to make to you just a couple of announcements. Um, the Love Songs Valentine's Banquet is coming up on the 12th of February. That's at 7 o'clock. That costs us $10 a person. And I know there is a herd of people coming to that already. And so if you could do us a favor and sign up in the foyer, um, or if you do the online thing, there's a way to sign up and pay online as well. And so that's coming up. Everybody, um, anybody, everybody are welcome to attend that. We'd love to have you. And then, guys, we are going to begin our, our breakfast Bible studies again the first Saturday of the month, beginning in March. And so I do want to tell you that I misprinted um, this one announcement in the bulletin. If, if the number 8 on a Saturday morning is the first number you see on the alarm clock bothers you, that's because we're going to start at 9 o'clock, not 8.30. So that is my mistake. Um, but, again, there's a sign-up sheet out there as well. There's a couple books that you can purchase to go along with the study. We're going to be working through a book uh, published by Warren Wearsby, a study on the life of Job and developing patience. And so we, again, that's for all ages. Um, we would love to have as many of the guys here with us as possible beginning the first Saturday in March. And so we're looking forward to that as well. If you are visiting with us today, we want to say a special thank you and a welcome to you. And uh, in the pew in front of you, or if you're online, you can head over to ashlandavenue.org and fill out a digital connect card. 
But right in the pew in front of you is a little card, and we would ask that you take a moment and uh, fill out some of your contact information, and then you can place it in the offering box, either right in the back of the auditorium, or there's a second one in the foyer on your way out. But again, we are, we are thankful to be here um, of all days of the week right now because of the weather. We're especially thankful to be here today and glad that you have chosen to worship with us here at Ashland. So I think they're going to come up here. Now, Kara has on Sunday school, in Sunday school, been um, instilling in them, learning the books. Of, now, I, I hate to ask this. If I was to put someone on the spot this morning, adult-wise, how many of you could say all 66 books of the Bible in order? Kara can. With motions. Um, so I, not, not necessarily with motions. Now, just being able to say it. So they are going through a series where they have been learning um, the, the 66 books of the Bible. And uh, they want to encourage your heart a little bit by reciting those to you before we continue on in our worship. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First and Second Third John, Jude, Revelation. That was awesome. I always get caught up right there in the middle of the Old Testament. That was pretty great, you guys. Nicely done. Nicely done. Why don't you stand back up with us and let's continue to worship together. This is the song that they chose to sing this morning. So you guys are going to sing it out, right? Here we go.
show your appreciation to these young people for coming up here and singing. Nicely done. You guys can go down. Great job. Listen, it takes a lot to get up here in front of you and do that. And they have been practicing for a long time. So if you see them today on your way out, you be sure and encourage them because it is not easy to get up here in front of you and sing. And they did a great job. Keep standing with us. This is one of my favorite hymns, and I just thought we would sing this before James brings the word this morning. Come, thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, song by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. So 
Ephesians chapter 4 then, we'll just grab this one, Morgie. Ephesians 4. We started in this chapter last week, and I want to come back to it and look at the next of the one another statements as we have been continuing through this love to love situation and, and study together. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to ask you four questions. They are fill in the blank. So you might or might not know them by now, but we've covered them multiple times up to this point. So help me out. Let's remind ourselves what this study has taught us thus far. There is a command, and that command is to... Okay, I think I heard Gary. Um, let's... Oh, is it? Oh, well, there's a cheat sheet right in front of you. The command is to... There's no excuse not to know it. Now, the command is to... Thank you. The example is... Jesus, the means is, but the purpose, it's others. That's what the Love to Love series is trying to get us to focus on. It is the purpose of others. That's why every letter that is written to the churches by Paul mentions the topic of unity. And so we have a commission, we have a command, and that is to love as Jesus loved, so that we, in turn, then show that love to other people. Now, last week, we looked at this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, in all things. I want you to stop and let's think about that phrase for just a minute. In all things. We have a commission and a command that has been given that we love in all things. In all things, we grow up. So when you think about this, Paul says that that issue of growing up should cover every facet of our lives. Every little detail about who we are involves that process of growing up. Now, there comes a time when things, as you well know, have to be packed up. You ever been there before? There are times where you have to say goodbye to something, never for it to return again. Now, I thought of initially, to help us understand this point, how many of you have a favorite seat in the house? Like, it's, it's where you will be in less than an hour and a half, maybe even less than that if, if you're lucky. Maybe it's that seat where you sit down and the armrest conforms to your elbows and you sink right down into that seat so that when you kick your feet up, that chair just wraps around your body and it puts you in this wonderful place of peace and quiet and you can fall off into your afternoon nap. But there comes a point where the pattern that used to be in that fabric is no longer there. Or where the, the wood supports underneath the armrest are now exposed because of so many times you sat on it you watched movies in it, maybe you rocked babies on it, you took naps on it, only to realize one day the stitching is torn, the fabric is now different colors, and yes, it's time to put away the chair. I don't know who did that, but somebody's taking that personal. It's a scary, you get separation anxiety a little bit because you've loved that chair and you've spent some, you've developed a relationship with that seat over the course of years and you've got to get rid of it. How many of you, how many of you have a, a special article of clothing that probably needs to go, but for some reason you just can't part with it? It's showing, it's showing its age. Um, 
the, the holes are a little bit bigger than they were. Uh, the, the stitching is a little bit frayed. The color is a little bit faded. But for some reason, you just refuse to give it away. Maybe somebody gave it to you, which makes it more valuable in your eyes. But, but today, the holes and the stains, the frayed edges, um, they are indicators that your spouse is right. It's time to pitch that shirt or that pair of pants, whatever it might be. Um, can I tell you this this morning as we look into Ephesians chapter 4? Part of growing up is learning to put away things in our life. Part of growing up into him, is, as Ephesians 4 leads us to do, part of maturing, part of growing up into Christ in all things is realizing that there are things in my life that had no place to begin in it to begin with. And so we put those items, we put those issues, those, and we're going to look at a few in just a minute, those articles of clothing, and we box them up, and we put them in a place where they're never to come again. I want you to remember with me this morning, though. Remember, it would seem that for the church in Ephesus, this topic of unity was under attack, and now Paul is not going to beat around the bush. He is going to attack this issue head on, and he deals with it succinctly, by reminding us that part of the reason the unity is at, um, at, uh, under attack in the church is because of this issue of refusing to grow up. The Christians there were still acting like they were infant in their relationship with the Lord, whereas they should have been displaying more maturity spiritually. So can I say it one more time, okay? A statement that we have mentioned multiple times now, four weeks into this series. A church without unity has little to no impact on its community. Okay, so do you understand then if, if our impact on Norwood and the surrounding areas hinges on our ability to be unified here, then I would say there is a pretty major level of value that's placed on the topic. And church, we can, listen, we cannot underestimate the importance of remaining unified, especially in a day where there is so many things that we can divide and debate and argue over. Again, not demanding sameness by the definition of unity, but demanding uniqueness as the way God created us, but sidelining our preferences for the sake of being unified around the doctrines of God's word and not bending, not compromising, but those are the issues that we stand on and we're talking about them on Wednesday nights. A church without unity has little impact on its community. And a church that has little impact on its community is not living out the command of love that Jesus exemplified, that God's word commanded, and then others are not impacted because people can't get along inside of a church. What does that mean? Well, for the church in Ephesus, it might mean that somebody stays separated from God for eternity because Christians in Ephesus couldn't get their act together. So Paul says, I'm going to help you grow up for just a minute. And so look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now I told you, part of the maturing process is realizing there are things that I have to put away never to bring back out again. And so what I did this morning, if you notice the, the, the mess behind me, I brought with me some, some clothes that need to be put away. All right? Now, um... Can I, can I get some help? Do you guys care? I need, I need five. Just count them off and come here. 
I need some help because I want to show you some things this morning that we need to put away. Some articles of clothing. Now, granted, these are in much better shape than, um, than probably we would be disposing of. Come here, Eli. Hold this one over here, and then guys just line up behind me there. Now, that one's a little hard to read a little bit, and, and I have a confession to make, and I would tell you that I left my visual at home this morning. So we scrambled while the praise team was practicing to, to create something new. When it comes to items that are demonstrating spiritual maturity and things that we need to put away, Paul says on the back of that shirt, the first issue that we have to learn to sideline and to put it away, box it up, is what? What does it say? Bitterness. Bitterness. You ever see somebody that is bitter? That, that grumpy, old, shriveled-up raisin of a person that just has no joy in life whatsoever? Here's the idea of bitterness. Bitterness is this, this poisonous anger that we refuse to take care of. We let, it, we let it stay within our system so that it is left unresolved, and we become angry. We harbor a grudge. We hang on to resentment, and it produces in our life. You've been around them. You know what it is. A bitter person is constantly irritable. You don't really want to be around them much. Anything that is said or done makes that person sour. See, when we are so bitter about what has happened to us in the past, it is virtually impossible to have any impact for Christ in the present or in the future. See, the bitter person, can you make a bitter face for me, Eli? What would it look like? What would it look like, Eli? Be a shriveled up raisin for me. I'm putting him on the spot big time. Just hold that one up then. How about that? What is the next thing? Can you hold that one for me? What does it say after that in verse number 31? Let all bitterness and, say it. Now, I know it's hard to see. I don't know who wears that size shirt. Not me, but wrath. Now, I want you to think about this idea of wrath. Again, Paul is explaining to us how we can spiritually mature. A byproduct of bitterness is going to be wrath. Someone that can't get past what has been done to them in the past. They are angry. They are hurt. Now listen, some of that anger and hurt um, is real. All of it is real. Nobody is trying to justify the behavior, but just because somebody does or says something to us in the years gone by does not mean we have the right to hang on to it and never resolve that anger. A person who is bitter oftentimes displays that bitterness through wrath. Well, what does it look like? It is the byproduct of bitterness. It is that sourness that tends to answer people with anger. Because of what I am dealing with inside, it is visible exterior. It is visible for those who are watching. A person who is wrathful gets caught up in the moment, oftentimes leading to an outburst of anger. Here's the, it's a really neat word picture. It is the, the idea of a violent wind gust that comes in and rips off roofs and, and, and topples huge trees and leaves a path of, dis, of, of destruction in its way. That's the wrathful person. Well, not just that, Paul says. You find another thing. What is it? Hold that one for me, Mr. Jonathan. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. How do we differentiate between the two? A lot of times we take those words and we, we interchange them as if they have the same meaning. But I want to tell you this. Anger has the idea of, of an internal indignation. It's what is happening. So not only are they in, behind the scenes bitter, but because of that bitter, bitterness, they are internally anger, which again creates that explosiveness that we see in the word wrath. And so somebody like Johnny here who holds up the t-shirt of anger, 
their intention solely in life is revenge. That anger and that bitterness has taken root in their heart, and the product of that anger and the product of that bitterness is revengeful wrath. Paul says this. When it comes to spiritual maturity, these are some, these are some garments that we put away. Well, he doesn't stop there. What's the next one? Give me your Corinth. Hold that one up. What's the next one? Say it with me. Clamor. Weird word. But coupled with wrath, clamor is the idea of shouting that reveals a loss of control. Now, I'm not trying to pinpoint anybody that's here or online at all. But have you ever been around that person that, man, when they, they lose it, they lose it verbally? They get angry. Maybe, maybe they're a, you know, there's two different kinds of people. There's your bottle uppers and there's your bottle rockets, right? This would be more of your bottle rocket that all of these things kind of snowball and they land on Corinne's t-shirt and it's a clamor. It is a verbal explosion of all of these emotions that have been deal, dealt with behind the scenes or not been dealt with and it results in this, this wrathful shouting that anybody watching can identify. You've lost control. You're not even making any sense anymore. You are hurting just for the sake of hurting because, remember, they're angry. The goal here is, is revenge. And if I can say something with the clamor of my mouth that might hurt somebody and satisfy that desire for revenge, I'm going to explode on them and I'm going to hurt them because here's a statement that you must get and it will help you immensely in dealing with people. Hurt people hurt people. Whether they realize it or not, whether it's intentional or not, whether it was a, an intent of revenge or not, it does not matter. When someone is hurting, a lot of the byproduct of that hurt is, is more subsequent hurt. I mean, how many people have you been around that you know are hurting and they, they voice opinions, they're angry about everything, they're clamorous because they are hurting inside? What we see is the exterior. We just see somebody that runs their mouth and explodes all the time, not taking the time to get our hands messy and realize with what's going on behind the scenes that we may not know about. Well, Chris, here's one more. Oh, goodness. So you can see how this would play in. The last thing that Paul encourages us to grow up by is packing up evil speaking. Evil speaking is providing evil reports concerning someone else simply with the intention on hurting them. Do you see the snowball effect that all of this has? Do you see the relationship really between Eli here with bitterness all the way down the line? Bitterness as the root when it takes up in the heart produces all of these external demonstrations of spiritual immaturity and what is it going to produce? Remember, the issue at hand here is the issue of unity. Now, I'm going to tell you this much. When a church is comprised of or even has some bitter people in it, you're going to have a hard time being unified because the bitter people are the ones who are constantly angry, who are constantly bad-mouthing, who are constantly clamorous, who are constantly evil-speaking about everybody else in the room because, remember, their intention is revenge because they've been hurt. Now, before they have a seat and before we pack these things away, as Paul instructed us, let me say one more time. Every one of us in this room will hurt someone else in this room at some point or another. I mean, it, the longer you're around the same people, the more opportunities we have to hurt each other. 
whether, again, whether it is intentional or not is not the point. The point is whenever you put human beings in close contact with each other over the course of a consistent amount of time, there's going to be hurt that is, that is caused by someone else. And at that point where the hurt originates, we have a decision. Does that hurt drop down into our heart? And does that anger go left unresolved so that we become bitter and we become divisive so that I decide because of what Eli did to me, I come over here and I call all of you guys together and say, hey, this guy's a chump. Did you hear what he said about me? And what have I done in that moment? I have clamored. I have spoken even, uh, evilly. And I have spoken in anger because my desire was to get back at the person that hurt me. And in that moment, the unity of the church is shattered. And not just that, but now when the unity of the church is shattered, also the impact for Christ is destroyed. What started it? A lot of times, it's just something that was said. Something that was hurtful. And so all of this, guys, go ahead and pack this up. So here's what Paul says as they, as they help us understand this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking do exactly what they just did in front of you. May it be put away. May it be stored away. All of these sins that we just mentioned are interpersonal in their relationship whether it is between an unbeliever and a believer, or worse yet, between two believers. What I just mentioned to you, and what Paul outlines for us, are interpersonal sins. And the cost of these sins are often unrecognized because the passion of the moment takes over, but the destruction that is left behind is sometimes unrepairable. I want you to think about some of those words. I want you to think about the hurt that people have caused you in the past. And I want you to think about the repercussions of that hurt. Fellowship can be broken. Relationships can be destroyed. Overall, the church will be weakened. And the impact for Christ will be stunted. So our role, as Paul outlines for us in Ephesians 4, if you remember, is to build each other up, not tear, tear each other down. And so the picture here in verse number 31 is, is this idea of packing something up. Now, we used to go on a, on a men's retreat, and, and what would happen is, um, I'm going to kick this over before I fall over it, is we would, we would rent these houseboats, and it would dock alongside of a barge, and we'd be on, docked on an island, and we would spend the weekend there for, a, for, the, for this men's retreat. And a lot of times what would happen is in the middle of the night, there's always that boat that decides that they're going to play pranks on everybody else. And one of the pranks was to go out in the middle of the night and to untie that boat and give it a little shove so that they wake up in the morning and realize they have drifted away from everybody else. Now, I want you to picture that other than the, the setting of a lake, and I want you to picture that in the ocean. I want you to think about a, a boat that has been pushed out to sea, and it is going to drift, and it is going to drift farther and farther away from a line of sight so that that boat never comes back. That is the idea that Paul is communicating. That is the picture. The picture is for us to box all of these things up, to handle it appropriately, which we're going to talk about how to do that in a moment, and to put it on a boat and to kick it out to sea so that it never returns, so that what made me angry, what made me bitter, never finds root in my heart. Again, I'm willing to move forward. 
See, bitterness and anger and tearing someone down are all marks of spiritual immaturity. And Paul says this is one of those in all things areas that the church in Ephesus were really struggling with and really needed to find victory in. So he says, pack up all of those things, tape the flaps on the box, put it on a boat, push it out to sea, and never allow it to return again. Now you would think that in that instance, after the word malice, should be a period, not a colon. Right? That, that's the end of it. We can, we can pray and you're, you're headed to your favorite chair in just a few minutes. But it's not. Because listen, we all know that it's not always that easy just to box up hurt and to send it off to sea. A lot of times that hurt comes back. A lot of times the person that hurt us, we come in contact with maybe after months or years, and all of that hurt from the past starts to surface yet again, and here comes that box right back towards us on the boat that we thought we sent it out on. And so where we think that this would be it, we box it up when we send it out, and Paul says, that's it, move on, grow up. But no, that's not the way he handles this. The problem with that approach is we haven't dealt with the actual hurt. We've only dealt with the symptoms. So whereas there are issues to pack up in verse 31, there is one thing that Paul says to unpack. You find it in verse number 32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So Paul's instruction here is, it's time to grow up, Christians in Ephesus. And he tells us to, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to show the last one, but I want to just mention to you the first two. The first thing he encourages us to unpack is this idea of kindness. Listen, when a person is bitter, they're going to really struggle to be kind to other people. When a person is angry, they're not going to naturally be um, positioned to go after somebody in kindness. When a person is wrathful, kindness is probably the furthest thought from their mind. Here's what Paul says. As you're boxing all of these issues up and you're taping it down, I want to remind you, that's just step one. When you put things off, you have to put things on. So when you go back to our illustration, if you're going to get rid of your favorite chair, there's a great chance you're going to replace it with another lazy boy. Right? You're not going to leave the vacancy in the living room and sit on the floor and watch your games or your movies anymore. You're going to get another chair, and that's going to become your favorite. So Paul says the same thing is true in your spiritual health. When you remove something, when you put something off and you put it away, never for it to come back, here's something that you put back on in its place, and that is kindness. Graciousness has the idea of being useful, profitable, it is a willingness to provide what is needed. Listen to me. Hang on, hang on. When we were talking about this lineup of different words, remember there was one intention that is probably going to be exposed. That intention was revenge. Now, who does revenge satisfy? It's the hurt person. I want to tell you this. There is a lot of things that God asks for us to do that may seem impossible for us to do it. One of those issues pops up right here in Ephesians chapter 4. It seems like it is an impossible thing to unpack kindness, especially when I am commanded to be kind to the person who has hurt me so bad over the years. 
But instead of seeking what is mine, instead of seeking revenge as, as something that I've already boxed up, the, the counter-argument is true. And Paul says it's not about seeking what you want. It's about seeking what the needs of others might be. And if you are able, satisfy that need. That's what kindness is. But verse 32 also says, be ye kind one to another. Say the next word with me. Tenderheartedness. Well, what's the difference? Isn't somebody that's kind already tenderhearted? Well, tenderheartedness is, is compassionate. It's sympathetic. Now, you take those two descriptions, kindness and tenderhearted, and you connect them together. And then I can realize that someone else has a need, and I'm tender enough to do something about it. Hey, watch, 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 watch. Is a bitter person going to be tenderhearted and kind? They're not. They're going to be that grumpy old shrivel up raisin who's not going to care about anybody but themselves. Their impact for Christ is going to be extremely limited. Their relationships are going to be destroyed. They're not doing real well in the kindness and tenderheartedness category. But remember, we've put those things away. God says, put on tenderheartedness and kindness because whenever God calls you to do something, he gives you the grace to do it. And so the problem with tenderheartedness and kindness is this. When I am hurt or when I am bitter or when I am angry, the last thing in the world on my mind is doing something for somebody else. Am I alone on that statement altogether? If, if I am hurt by somebody, I'm probably not thinking, what is a way tomorrow that I can show kindness and tenderheartedness to the person who has hurt me? Now, mind you, again... Let it suffice to say that nobody is justifying the hurt that was caused you. Nobody is saying that that was okay. But what we are saying is the hurt that was caused to you does not have dominion over your life. Only the grace of God can have that. And so when that someone else is the one who hurt me and I realize that I can do something about it, then we get to verse 32 and then we start unpacking what Paul says to put on. And here's where it snowballs. Tenderhearted, uh, kindness. And what does that produce in the life of a believer? What's our next one another statement? Forgiveness. Forgiving one another. See, a life that is spiritually mature, a life that is marked by this motto of loved to love, demonstrates forgiveness. And in this other box, this is what we need to pull out and remind ourselves constantly. And it seems like the more we forgive, <laughs> the more opportunities we have to forgive. Is it just me? It seems like the, I just forgave somebody. Do I have to do it again this week? <laughs> I just, I just got over this last hurt, and it seems like somebody else did something to me, so do I really need to forgive this week because I just did this last week? Can I just wait on the tenderhearted and kindness thing? So it seems like the more that I forgive people, the more opportunities I have to forgive so that it seems like there is never a day that goes by where I don't have a chance to forgive somebody. Tenderhearted, kindness, forgiving one another. See, those two, those two traits, the kindness and tenderheartedness means realize, realizing that the person who hurt me has needs, and what I need is found in verse 32. It, my need 
If you're concerned about yourself, my need is not the need for revenge as much as you think that it is. What a person who is hurt needs the most, whether they realize it or not, is forgiveness. It's not suppressing the feelings. It's not simply just choosing to move on. It is not figuring out ways to hold it back so that it never comes up again. It, it's, not, it's neither of those two things. Because if that's the conclusion, I guarantee you that hurt will come back. Biblical forgiveness is this. It is being hurt by somebody else, and because of that hurt that they have caused you, they now owe you. Think about this in a marriage relationship. Think about how many fights that you've had, how many knockdown, dragouts that you've had, and, and the hurt that can be caused in a marriage relationship and what happens in the back of your mind. They now owe me. I don't know that we use those terms verbatim, but we think that way. Because of what you've done to me, you owe me something. And guys, we know that all too well because how, are, how do we sometimes resolve a fight? Well, we owe them flowers. <laughs> we owe them chocolate. We owe them an apology, a day at the spot, whatever it might be. I know that I owe you because I have hurt you. See, forgiveness is the idea of releasing a debt that is owed because someone said or did something to me. I am not going to look them in the eyes and think in the back of my mind, you hurt me, therefore you owe me, and this will never be right until that debt is paid. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a, I was not planning on being on a leash this morning, but, but it would be like Stephanie having a Bible in her hand. I'd just come and take it from her. I would then owe her what? <laughs> a Bible and probably dinner or a gift card or something like that to, to, um, make it, make sure that it's okay. I would owe her something. Church, listen to me. When it comes to this issue of forgiveness, we know very well that hurt is going to arise because, listen, people are going to backstab us. People are going to hurt us. The pastor is going to do or say or change something that we don't like and it makes us angry. I mean, let's go a little bit deeper. There are people that have suffered some serious physical abuse. There are people that have suffered some serious verbal abuse. There are some people that have really been through the ringer over the course of their life, and it's natural for them to cling on to the hurt that was caused to them. And again, nobody is saying that those hurts were okay, that it was somehow justifiable. But the problem with hanging on to hurt and demanding a payment is this. We will never be satisfied with the payment that is offered. We don't know what a reasonable payment would be. We just know that they owe us. And so Paul says, here's my command to you. You want to protect the unity of the church. You want to protect relationships. You want to protect the impact that a church can have on their community for Christ. Guard the unity by being willing to forgive. I want to give you just, I don't know, a couple thoughts on forgiveness because this is really hard. This is not easy. It's not as easy as changing shirts. For some of you, this might be years of hurt that has snowballed and you've wrestled with it and you have never let go of the debt that that person owes you. Can I give you some thoughts on forgiveness? Here, write this one down. 
What if the hurt is too big? I can't forgive someone because of what they did to me. It's unforgivable. They took advantage of me. They did things to to me that no person ever should have. I cannot forgive them. I had a parent that came home and drunk and, and abused me every single night. That is a debt that is never going to be repaid. It is too big of a wrong that's been committed to me. I cannot forgive. Can I tell you again, when God calls you to do great things, he also gives you the grace to do whatever he's called you to do. Here, let me give you another one, number two. Well, if I forgive them, they'll just do it what? Again. If I forgive them this time, chances are they'll become a repeat offender. How many times do I have to forgive someone anybody? Anyway, Jesus says 70 times 7, if you want to go back to that text. Here's the third thought. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. When you choose to forgive someone, it is not simply turning a blind eye to what has happened. It is releasing them from the debt that they owe you. We need to keep moving. Number four, forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Um, I, I need to say that one more time and then prove a point. Forgiveness, forgiveness is not sitting back and waiting on the hurt, the person who's caused you that hurt, to come and say they're sorry. Now stop and listen. Did you hear that? Let me me try it one more time. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Now stop and listen. They're not coming. I don't see them kicking down the back door, rushing in here. I don't see anybody jumping out of their pew and running over here to apologize to somebody because there's a good chance that apology will never come. So does that mean the hurt that has been caused you now has control over you until the debt of of an apology comes? No, a thousand times no. You do not have to live in the hurt that has been caused to you. And, And the only escape is if they come and say that they're sorry. Some of us might be waiting the rest of our lives because it's never happening. So does that mean that God wants us to live in a place of hurt and bitterness? No. Here's another one. Forgiveness is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It does not happen overnight. Two more. What about the thought that time will heal? Can Can I be brutally honest? I know we can debate this. Time doesn't heal anything. Um, the bitter person doesn't look at, let go of the hurt, and over time it just gets better. As a matter of fact, we know bitter is anger that is left unresolved, and bitterness has the ability to take root into our heart, and taking root and producing fruit takes time. So if anything, time doesn't heal anything. If anything, the expansion of time only hurts us further because that allows bitterness to well up within us, and we don't deal with it. Last one. This is a lie that forgiveness and reconciliation are synonymous. They're not. Forgiveness is only step one in reconciliation, but it is not a guarantee, nor is it a requirement that that relationship is reconciled. Do I need to mention just for a second the physical harm that you do to yourself when you hang on to hurt and you don't forgive? Increased blood pressure. Increased, increased anxiety, stress, and hostility, depression, a weakened immune system, lessened self-esteem, decayed heart health. 
Let's say it simply. When I refuse to forgive someone, it's not hurting them by hanging on to the hurt. The only person that it hurts is you. Unforgiveness is a prison of personal torture that only you hold the key to escaping, and God gives you the grace to kick open the door and get out. So we come back to the text here in verse number 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving, forgiving, paying that, that, that debt. Somebody has to pay the debt, and you, instead of expecting them to pay you back, you decide that you will pay the debt that is owed because I'm forgiving you. Isn't that a, a radical thought? Someone hurts you. They now owe you because of that hurt. And instead of them paying you because of the hurt that they caused you, you say, no, I'll pay. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But they hurt me. Why, why would I pay the debt that's owed to me when they caused it? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? Do you know what abuse that I occur, uh, accrued? Do you know, and you're going to sit here and tell me that that person who was so awful to me somehow deserves that I pay the debt that they owe me? Careful. The answer to that is no. They don't deserve anything. But remember this for just a moment. Look at the rest of verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Remember, we're loved to love. The example is Christ. What does the rest of verse 32 say? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I have been loved by God. Did I deserve it? Did you deserve it? Tell me. Did you deserve the love of God and the forgiveness of God at all? Listen, the answer is a wholehearted no. We didn't deserve any of that. If anything, we offend God on a daily basis. We hurt God constantly because of our sins. Because of that sin debt, here's, here's what the gospel says. Because of that sin debt, somebody owes a payment. For the wages of sin is death. There's the payment. There is the satisfaction if there is going to be forgiveness that is received, somebody has to pay the price for that forgiveness. Now, between ourselves and God, we are the one guilty of hurting him. And he looks at us and says, no, you don't have to pay for it. I will. I know you've hurt me constantly. I know you've badmouthed me constantly. I know you have cheated on me constantly. But yet still... Knowing who we are, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while I was yet an offender, a herder, and a liar towards God, God demonstrates his love by paying the debt for us. Church, listen, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up, and we're done. That doesn't make any sense. How many times do we have to say that on a Sunday morning? The forgiveness and the love of God does not make sense. But that's the way we've been loved. And Paul says this. Because that's the way God demonstrates as an example, we in turn choose to love other people likewise. We have been loved so that we can love. And part of loving other people is choosing to relieve them of the debt that they owe us. We release them because we've chosen to forgive. 
See, the command is to love. The example is Christ, and the purpose is others. I think this is why it is so important that when we forgive someone who has hurt us, it is one of the most amazingly Christ-like decisions that will ever cause someone who either knowingly or unintentionally hurt us to be amazed at our response. Listen, when you are hurt by somebody and you choose to forgive them, they're going to stand there and scratch their heads and try to figure out what in the world just happened. I just said that about you and you're going to let go of that? I just did that to you. I just bad-mouthed you to how many different people, and you're going to look me in the eye and say, I'm forgiven? Lewis Smead said this, Forgiving is going to a person either in your fantasies or in reality and saying, I don't understand. I'll never understand. It wasn't okay, but I forgive you. Why? Because it's exactly what Christ has done for us. Our sin is not okay. It's not acceptable in the eyes of God. (laughs) But what does God say? I forgive. I release you of the debt of spending eternity in hell separated from me because of what Christ did for you. Hey, can I tell you this morning, this is what loved to love is all about. I've been loved through forgiveness by God so that I can love others through forgiveness of them. Can I tell you this morning, it's, it's time, and I, I don't know how far back this goes for some, but it's time to box up some of that hurt that has been caused us for years. And it's time to pull out and put on some spiritual maturity in the area of forgiveness. Church, listen, we're never going to see eye to eye on everything. Doctrinally, I hope that we do. That's the goal. Preferentially, here's the joke again. I'm about to sweat through this shirt. You might be comfortable. I forgive you. (laughs) Maybe you didn't like seeing the kids on the platform. Maybe you didn't like the song that they picked. Maybe you didn't like the temperature of the room. Maybe you didn't like the taste of the coffee. Maybe you don't like... Are you seeing at least a little bit about what Paul is trying to tell the church in Ephesus? Now, we use very superficial, generic examples of what forgiveness and preferences might look like. That is not to downplay the hurt that might have been experienced in some of your lives. That is, again, not to say the hurt that you have suffered is okay and justified and you just need to get over it. No. It's asking those of us that have been hurt historically to look at the way that we can forgive that person from a biblical perspective and behave as Christ did. And listen, if Christ is willing to forgive us and to pay our debt for us because of the hurt and the sin that we've caused him, then listen, is there any reason why we can't find a way to forgive somebody else? Where God commands us to do something hard, he gives us the grace to do it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take a moment, and and whoever is coming up for the music side to close out our service, then come on up, because I want to ask you to do this. I want you to think in your life about all of the hurts that have been caused to you, all of the things that have been said, maybe the things that you have, 
you still hang on to. There, there might be hurt that have been caused to you by someone in this room or maybe somebody that used to be in this room that is not here any longer. Whatever the case may be, I want you to be specific in your mind. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward unless in the, in the invitation you so desire. But what I am going to ask you to do is this. I would ask you to adopt the statement that is on the screen because it is time to pack up all of the wrong reactions to hurt, ship them off to sea, and start practicing forgiveness. How do I do that? Well, here's step number one. I'm not going to ask you even to write it down, but write in your mind between your heart and God's. Look at that statement, and I want you to fill in those two blanks. I forgive, fill in the blank, for fill in the blank with what they've done to hurt you. And then as, as Jewel plays in, I want you to take a minute and ask God to give you the grace to do what he's called you to do and to forgive. I forgive that person because they did this to me and I have not gotten over it yet. Someone that I counted close, a family member, hurt me, but I'm going to let that go. Because again, when God gives us the grace, when God gives us the command to do something difficult, he gives us the grace to do it. Father, right now in our time together, this is a tough subject. I pray that we have done it justice. I I hope that we have not overly simplified this, but God, it is taken straight out of the text. And some of us in this room, where there might be some online right now who are harboring hurt and, and, and anger and wrath and bitterness because of things that happened either to us yesterday, maybe it was 10 years ago, and we are the person we are today because we never forgave. God, today I pray that we would choose to release them of the debt that we think they owe us and in forgiving them, we are paying that debt never to come back to it again. We're going to send it off to sea. We're going to unhook that boat from the dock and we're going to send out all of these things that Paul calls us to to put off. God, again, I, I don't know all of the hurt that is right here in this room. I don't know the, the abuse. I don't know the, the verbal anguish that people have suffered from. And Lord, we are not justifying that hurt. But listen, we know, God, and we are asking you to help us with the grace to forgive so that we can move on for our own physical health, for our own spiritual health, for the unity of, of our relationships with our friends and our loved ones, for the unity of this body of Christ. God, may we find it in us, and might by, might by your grace, you empower us to forgive. All right now, church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As Jewel plays, would you stop and just take a minute and fill in that blank in your mind? Don't look around. Don't fall asleep. This is far too important of a topic to get a jump start on your nap. Who is it? I forgive who because of what they've done or said to me or about me. Who do you need to release the debt for? Now, here's what I am going to ask you, because I would like to pray for God's grace on your life right now. But if you would be honest this morning and say, Pastor, there is somebody that their name belongs in that blank and I'm having a hard time or I know I need to forgive them. 
Would you pray that God would give me the grace to release them of the debt that I thought they owed me? All over the room. Is that true about you? Would you just slip your hand up? And I'm really angry. I'm really hurt. But I realized this morning that I need to extend to that person some forgiveness. Now listen, all over the room, there's a lot of hurt here today. There's a lot of marriages that might need to come up here right now and pray together because your spouse, your husband, your wife did something, said something, expected something, and that hurts you and you've never gotten over it and your relationship's never been the same. There might be another church member that you need to come to and ask for their forgiveness. There might be somebody that's even passed away or that hurt you in the past that you don't have opportunity to go to and to try to make it right, but you know this morning you need to forgive them. Whatever the situation is, church, listen, for the sake of the cause of Christ and for the sake of the example that has been given to us by God himself, may we be tenderhearted and kind enough to offer somebody forgiveness and to pay the debt that they owe me for them. That's exactly what Christ did for you. So as Jewel plays, would you just take a moment and would you spend some time asking God to help you release that debt?